Good morning, Centerway Church. My name is Eric, and I'm part of the lead team. We're so thankful for another opportunity to gather online together. Special welcome to those who may be gathering with us for the very first time. We're so glad that you're here, and I also want to say welcome to everyone gathering on the live platform, as well as those who may be watching or listening to this later on. We also want to say hi to those gathering for a socially distant watch party today. In the coming weeks, we'll have a structured way for you to connect in these watch parties, so stay tuned for that. Now, some of you may have heard the information I'm about to share for a number of weeks now. We also know that there are new faces watching and listening every week, so we'll run through some of the basics, as well as a special announcement for kids in just a moment. First, we know this is a challenging season in so many ways. If we can help you or someone you know, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Second, we have resources available for you and everyone in your family. There are Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, wallpapers to remind you of the weekly application question, and a message just for kids. Our Centerway kids learn from the same text, but with kid-friendly content. If you have kids in your home, it's a great way to discuss the Bible and grow as a family. Third, we're about to finish up this online cycle of circles this coming Friday. You're still welcome to join the conversation, and we'll keep you posted on ways to continue doing life together in the future. As for the kids Zoom circle, and this is available to any kid out there, even if you've never been a part of the kids circle, we're gonna have a very special online worship and game night on Friday, June 19th from 7 to 8.30. It'll include some songs your kids may know, as well as a new song, plenty of emotions and dancing, and even some games. If your child has not been a part of the circles but would like to participate in this special evening, email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com so we can give you the information you need to connect with that. If you're watching live, there are tabs to share your info, to give, to take next steps, to find previous messages, and even to share this message. If you're watching and listening later, you can do those things through our website. Now here's what to expect today. In just a moment, Priscilla will be reading the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then you'll hear some ways to respond in worship, including how you can join us on Instagram Live or Facebook Live as a way to respond through song. Now here's Priscilla with a text for today. Good morning, Center Way Church. My name is Priscilla, and I'll be reading the scripture today. If you'd like, you can follow along with me. I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 2, verses 26 through chapter 3, verse 3. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure.
Good morning. My name is Claude, and uh, my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. So excited that you've decided to join us as we continue in our series entitled Still Life. This morning's message in particular is entitled Confidence, Still Life, Confidence. And we're continuing in our journey through 1 John, as you've just heard the scriptures uh, read earlier. And uh, as we kind of jump in this morning, I, uh, I want to share a story with you from my college years, uh, my undergrad in particular. I was in a uh, room uh, with a bunch of guys. So I had roommates, we were in an apartment. And uh, from time to time, uh, the guys would, would come in and for the most part, if any of us expressed any type of emotion, uh, we would get the wrath or the ridicule of those that we lived with. It's just kind of the dynamic of that apartment. And so you'll have to bear with me as I recount some of this story. It may sound harsh to you, uh, but it's just the way that it was. And um, one of my friends, we were returning from uh, summer and we were coming back into the apartment. We had all of our bags and some of our stuff is permitted to stay there throughout the summer months. And as we're coming back, uh, he's just broken. He's just unapologetically um, crying. And uh, I thought, oh my gosh, because that stuff just never happened. And uh, I was like, dude, are, are you okay? And uh, he just shook his head no. And so I'm thinking someone has died, like just these catastrophic things are going through my mind. And so I kind of put my bags on and sit down, I'm like, what's going on? And uh, he's like, she broke up with me. I was like, what? You know, she broke up with me. And now I'm not going to say any names because if I do, then this will be shared amongst my college roommates and that person will be ridiculed all over again. Um, but he was just broken that he got dumped by his girlfriend that summer. And uh, I was trying to, you know, console him a little bit. And as I'm kind of talking him through what happened and what's going on, uh, one of my other roommates comes in back from, uh, back from summer. And uh, he's like, whoa you crying? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, huh, why? <laughs> and he goes, uh, she broke up with me. I won't say names, but she broke up with me. And, uh, he's like, she dumped you. And he's like, yeah. He's like, why are you crying? And he's like, I, 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 because man, don't be such a jerk. And so he starts like kind of, you know, getting aggressive with him. He's like, all right, all right. Well, what'd she say? Like, why, why did she break up with you? And he said, she said, we grew apart. We grew apart. And he goes, you grew apart? He's like, yeah, he's like, classic. That is a classic line. We grew apart. Yeah. And he grabs his bags and just heads off to his room. And so this friend of mine just looks at him like, what in the world? And so the next guy comes in and, uh, and he comes in and, of course, cracks some jokes. And is like, hey, losers, what have you been doing all summer? And, uh, and so I was kind of like, kind of calm down. He's like, you crying? <laughs> I was like, oh, no. And he's like, yeah. He goes, I got dumped, okay? And so he's now more aggressive from the last roommate that came in. And, uh, and he's like, well, what'd she say? She goes, he's, she said we grew apart. And he's like, oh, man, I have not used that line in a long time. Yeah, that is a great line. We grew apart. He's like, how do you argue with that, right? And so he starts laughing, grabs the rest of his bags and stuff and just walks right past him. And uh, like I said, it's a little bit harsh, but that's the dynamic of kind of being in this apartment. And uh, we helped him kind of process and move through it. And he moved on. He's happily married now. His ex-girlfriend's happily married. And that's why I'm not bringing up any of their names. But I simply tell that story because we've heard that phrase before, right? We've grown apart. Maybe you've used that phrase, we've grown apart. So the question I want to ask you as we jump into the text this morning is, why do we grow apart from people? 
Why do we grow apart from people? I want to like put that in quotes. You know, why do we grow apart from people? I think, like I've mentioned already, we've all heard it and maybe we've even, you know, used the phrase ourselves, whether it's in the dynamic of a dating couple like this that has broken up and they've grown apart, or maybe we've even heard married couples, or maybe your spouse has said to you, I feel like we're growing apart, or we've just grown apart. Maybe friends have said that to you. Maybe you feel like you've had a friend that you've just grown apart from. Family members, there's distance, and you just kind of say, well, we've grown apart. We ask what went wrong in their relationship, or maybe we ask of ourselves, what went wrong in that relationship in this moment as we kind of reflect on some of the people we've said we've grown apart from, or the people we know that maybe we've said, it seems like there's distance. More often than not, the response is simply the way that it was initially stated. We just grew apart. We just grew apart. That's just what happens. Sometimes we just grow apart. Why? Why do we grow apart from people? I want to submit to you that it's not as passive as we kind of have the statement imply. It's not like it's an accident. We say it like it's an accident. Like, listen, no one's at fault here. (laughs) We just grew apart. You know, it just happens. No one intended for it to happen. We just grew apart. It's kind of a cop-out. It's classic, like my friend said, or, oh, that's a good line. I haven't used that one in a while. We know in the deep recesses of our heart and mind that there's a reason, that it goes deeper than just kind of this passive implication that we've just simply grown apart. At some point in the rhythm of life, we or they, whoever it might be, made a decision to no longer maintain the relationship. It's a decision to no longer maintain the relationship. Now, listen, relational distance is a decision. Let me say that again, because I want you to fully understand the implications of that. Relational distance is a decision. Someone decides. Now, maybe it wasn't your decision. Maybe they've decided to put distance in your relationship. Maybe you've decided to put distance in a relationship, whether it's a friend in school or a college roommate, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you name it, even a spouse. The fact remains, relational distance is a decision by someone. Now, you may want to argue this (laughs) and insist that, that just sometimes, though, people do just grow apart. I mean, I get it, you know, maybe in some relationships it's a decision, but, but there are times, there are times where it just, it just happens. You just grow apart. If that's the case, how do you explain not seeing someone for literal years and picking up like you just saw them 10 minutes ago? I remember uh, when I went off to, to college, I had a group of friends in high school and uh, at church, and one of those friends is actually on the lead team, Eric Hamlin. And I remember, like, we used to hang out all the time, like, kind of nonstop. I went off to college, and you kind of end up with, like, a new group and circle of friends, and there's this part of you as you're kind of heading back home that you just wonder, like, you've kind of moved on. I wonder if your friends have new friends and have they moved on? And you hear about all these cool things they've done and different things that they've accomplished and where they're going to college and all of that. And uh, it was amazing. Like I showed up and we picked up like it had been 10 minutes, like started joking around, kidding around. Like we were just right back at it. It was as if we never missed a beat. 
Back then, I remember from time to time, we'd call each other just to catch up. I wanted to know where he was going to college or whatever. And it, it was just kind of this easy sense of almost like a brother type relationship. I remember one time, in fact, he wrote me a letter in college. Like, you believe that? People used to write each other letters and put it in the mail. It was craziness. <laughs> and so it, it, was, it was a different time, but there, there was a sense where we just, we wanted to be a part of each other's lives. And it was like we were brothers. Neither of us had brothers. And so we just kind of leaned in to that relationship. And when there were gaps or seasons that we were apart, we would pick right back up. And that continued on through our adult years where for seasons we lived in different cities. We were, you know, hours apart and yet we would just pick up. You know what I'm talking about. You've experienced that. You have friends that you just, there's distance. And then all of a sudden when you're back in proximity, you pick up like you haven't missed a beat. This is why it's possible that you can pick up that beat as if you haven't, I'm sorry, you pick up that relationship as if you haven't missed a beat. It's because relational distance is a decision. It's a decision to create distance. And so you can work at that relationship. So even if there's a season of time that you're not in contact with one another, the fact is you've done the work on the front end to sustain that time. You really know that person. You really know what makes them tick, kind of what their weaknesses are and the things that you can joke about, the things you can't joke about, what to bring up and what to never bring up. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you really know someone, you've done the relational work so that when there is distance, you can pick it right up like you haven't missed a beat. So at some point, you've done the work of getting to know them. You know them. And now you benefit from the work, the relational work that you've done. No, we don't just grow apart from others. It's nice to think that. It's nice to think that in some way we're victimized by accidental distances, but we don't just grow apart. We choose to disconnect. And now the reasons vary. There are multiple reasons why we choose to disconnect or why others choose to disconnect from us. Maybe the relationship was shallow, you know, and you didn't do the work to really know them. So now all of a sudden you move to a different city and all of a sudden you don't think about reaching out to them. You don't want to write them a letter or shoot them a text message. Just kind of like you kind of forget about them because the relationship was shallow. You, you would say that maybe you've grown apart, but the fact is you've made a decision to not maintain that relationship. Maybe you're in a new classroom as a school year starts or a collegiate major changes or maybe a job, right? You're in one job and you have these friends that are all around you and you see them every day and you're close, but then all of a sudden you start another job and you're not like, oh, I miss those people. Like they were friends because they were friends in that season of life as that part of your life, but you don't maintain those relationships, what you'd say is maybe you've grown apart, but the fact is decisions have been made. They've been made. Maybe there's an offense. So maybe the relationship was shallow. The second reason is maybe there's an offense that has happened. And rather than doing the relational hard work to resolve the issue that has come about, you or they have decided, you know what? This relationship isn't worth the work. It's easier to walk away. It's easier to put 
distance. I don't want the awkward. I don't want the pain. I don't want the relational hard work. And so I'm pushing away from the friendship table, from the dating relationship table, whatever it might be. The relationship can't weather this issue because you've made a decision or they have. You see, it all comes back to the fact that we make decisions to remain in proximity to people. No matter the reason, when we grow apart from another person, it's because we decided to stop pursuing them relationally. Even if you say, well, they want no part of me. But you have the ability to reach out. You have the ability to resolve your side of it. Now, ultimately, some people can sit with their arms crossed and say, I literally hate you. I won't forgive or whatever the reason might be. But more often than not, we as humans, we carry an offense or we put distance and we decide not to pursue a relationship. The reason I'm saying all of this and setting the table about this dynamic of relationship is because this is what John is addressing in this morning's text. In verse 26, it says this, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. For though, About those who are trying to deceive you. For the first time in the letter, John makes it clear that the readers are being targeted on purpose for deception. For the first time, he kind of lays it on the table and says, listen, you guys are being targeted to be deceived. Now, let's remember the context of the letter. If you're with us for the first time, I'll kind of clarify some of the context. False teachers are attempting to influence Christians away from Jesus. They have infiltrated a related group of churches. And so um, their, their intent is to literally deceive them, as John is talking about, to come against Jesus. And we, we know that John has written this letter as an open letter to multiple churches, and so they're connected so the original readers have a relationship with Jesus and others are speaking lies to them in hopes of elevating themselves and diminishing Christ. Elevating themselves. Sound familiar? This is how relationships are damaged. One person elevates themselves over the other. They elevate self. They elevate their priority, their desires. And as a result of elevating their desires, they diminish the desires of others. It's how people grow apart. They decide to put distance in a relationship. This is not a Christian thing. This is a human thing. We as humans navigate relationships sometimes in a rather messy way. So the question is this, is their relationship so shallow with God that they will be deceived? Is the relationship of this early church so shallow that when people come in and try to elevate their priorities and elevate the, the, their flesh above the things of Jesus, will they be deceived? It's a question that John is challenging them with, but it's a question that really we're being challenged with this morning. Will we be deceived? Is our relationship with God so shallow that we're able to be deceived by the system of the world, by the desires of self, by the yearnings of our flesh, by the pride of life? You see, John is in a, a theme here and he's addressing it more clearly in the next verse. Verse 27 says this, but the anointing that you received 
from him abides in you. So I write this because you're being deceived, but, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. So as I uh, mentioned earlier in the chapter, the anointing that they have received is in, refer- is in reference to the Holy Spirit. Something very important is being communicated in this verse. If you kind of lean in, John reminds them and us, for those of us that profess to be Christ followers, okay, so he's speaking to Christ followers specifically in this section here for sure, that God, the Holy Spirit abides in us. That when we ask Jesus to come and be the Lord and leader of our lives, that God takes residence within us, that that the Holy Spirit abides in us. Listen, the Holy Spirit is our defense against deception. That's what he's saying. He's saying people are trying to deceive you, but you have the Holy Spirit abiding in you. Jesus has anointed you with the Holy Spirit. And so you have the Holy Spirit abiding in you in order that you may not be deceived. So discernment comes when we have the Holy Spirit. We have the power to distinguish between truth and lie as Christ followers. We don't have to to be suckers. We don't have to get tricked. We don't have to fall into the false narrative of the system of this world. We can rise above it, not because of our own effort, but because God himself abides within us. And we can decipher between truth and lie. And yet, we often believe lies, don't we? Honestly, it's embarrassing. It's painful. And I'm not saying for you, like, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing that you believe lies. No, we, we believe lies. Lies about ourselves. Lies about others. Lies even about who God is about his compassion, about his patience, about his peace. We actually believe lies about the character of God that runs contrary to what the word reveals. John is saying, don't fall for it. Guard your hearts. Don't fall for it. We are in a different setting today, no doubt, but the deception is still present. The world system is telling us how to live. The process of pride and ambition and all the things that feed into our flesh. You need more. You want more. You need new. It's all about positioning and value and meaning and purpose in this life. But I want to challenge you the same way John challenges us. Seek truth. Seek truth. Don't fall for the lie. Seek truth. Not your truth. I know that runs rampant in society today. We're like, listen, what's your truth? No, no, no. We're talking about seeking truth. The truth. The truth. Now that sounds like, wait a second. You can't say truth as if it's not relative. But truth is, well, let's read. In John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, Jesus is actually speaking to one of his disciples, Thomas, who we actually later know as uh, one who is doubting Thomas. That's where we get that name, if you've ever heard that phrase, because he doubted whether or not Christ had actually resurrected from the dead. And Jesus kind of confronts him on that. So Jesus is speaking to, to this same Thomas prior to his death. And he's talking 
to Thomas in front of the disciples. And Jesus says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. Jesus says he is the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. John 14, 6 through 7. It's an incredible passage that connects directly to this one. He is saying, listen, truth is not a relative concept. Truth is a person. And Jesus Christ is that person. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And listen, if you want to know God, you know God by knowing Jesus. Truth is a person. Know me, Jesus says. Know me. He's speaking to his disciples, but the question I have for us this morning is, do we know Jesus? Do we know him? Not do we know of him? Because we can know of people. There's a lot of people I know of. Like, I know a lot of professional athletes. None of them personally. (laughs) right? Like we can say that we know a lot of people and we know a lot, but do you really know them? Do you know them enough that if there was distance, you would pick up as if it's only been, you know, five minutes? Do you jump right back into relationship? Do you know God that well that any sense of distance is like non-existent? That there's not even the thought that in some way we would grow apart from God? Have we decided to maintain a relationship with God? Because listen, we don't just grow apart. It doesn't happen. We decide. We decide to put distance. God is not leaving us or forsaking us. In fact, scripture says he's pursuing us. And so the, the, the distance is not from God. It's the choice we have made if you feel distant this morning. The verse goes on. And this part is often taken out of context. It says this. It says, and so, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. It's what... Um, it's what First John, what John is saying in chapter 27, I mean, verse 27, <laughs> goes on and says, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. This passage is taken out of context a lot. It's really taken out of context a lot. This does not mean that we don't need to be taught. It would be completely counterintuitive and make no sense for one of the great teachers within scripture to be like, hey, just so you know, you don't ever need to be taught. That's not what he's saying at all. You need to remember the context of this letter once again. If you remember the group of people that were actually referred to as antichrists, and as Eric has broken that down, it simply means anti-Christ, so against Christ. So these people are speaking against Christ. They're false teachers. And John is saying, remember, you know about the person and work of Jesus. Remember what you know about the person and work of Jesus and how that changes everything. That the spirit of God himself resides in you and that the knowledge of who God is 
is the way that you can actually decipher between truth and lie. It's not as subjective as you think. God himself speaks about you directly. And so are you aware of that? Are you aware of that? Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you so that you don't just take in information as truth, so that you won't be deceived. This rings so true in today's culture where everyone is right at your fingertips through social media. Regardless of your age or your intent, you even have people pushed to you if other people like it. All of a sudden you're seeing someone for the first time that that has this catchy phrase or this, this idea or this perception of who God is or how it is you can deal with this situation of life or you name it. It's just being pushed to us constantly. And if you're not putting those phrases and those teachings against the word of God, if you're not putting them against who God says he is, then you'll begin worshiping a person rather than God. Oh my gosh, that's such an amazing thing. Oh man, he's incredible. She's incredible. She, she says this about marriage. Oh my gosh, he says that. He says this phrase and that phrase. So we're going to repeat it. We're going to tweet it. We're going to whatever. And there's no theological depth to it. It rings true in the sense that it makes you feel better about yourself, but it doesn't reveal Jesus. There's no gospel centrality to the content. It just, it just makes your flesh feel better. Be leery of that. Be aware of that. That's false teaching that we have to guard our heart against. And now you might say, well, why are we talking about that? Why are we talking about false teachings? Because the text is talking about false teaching. We need to guard our hearts because we will be deceived. We'll draw conclusions, make decisions based on catchphrases we've heard or have been retweeted. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in this wreckage, in this place where we've, we've tried all these rote statements to speak over our lives. And we find ourselves just as broken as before because th the answer and the remedy is not within us as humanity and flesh. It's it's through the person and work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that resides within us as we abide in him. In fact, the verse goes on and it says this. So it says, and you have uh, no need that anyone should teach you, meaning that the truth resides within you against these false teachers, because it goes on and says, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Abide in him. Let me read the whole verse because I kind of broke it up into three sections. I'll read it again. Verse 27. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. The anointing. So the Holy Spirit that you have received from Jesus abides in you. But the anointing that you've received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you, should add on to the teachings of Christ. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The answer is Jesus. That's what it's saying. Abide in him. Remain in him. The, the grid of truth is, does this elevate Jesus? Or is it a pep talk that makes me feel better? Church doesn't exist for pep talks and one-liners and, you know, cheering rallies to make our flesh feel better. It's to reveal Jesus, to convict our hearts that the Holy Spirit would convict and, and point lights into the dark recesses of our life, that we can reset our heart and mind and live for the person and work of Jesus, what he has done for us. 
the text is addressing false teachers, which is why I'm addressing it, like I said, but the principle has actually much larger application than simply false teachers. If you're believing something, someone has spoken over you, or you're believing something about yourself, something that you've maybe even spoken over yourself, what does Jesus say about that? If we begin to elevate Jesus and the reality that we're in relationship with him, that he abides, that the Holy Spirit abides in us, then we have the, the responsibility to say, but what, is, what does God say about this? What does God say about this situation? What is the truth here? Should I put distance from people that have hurt me or should I love even my enemy? Should I forgive those that have wronged me? Now make no mistake, I'm not saying stay in abusive circumstances and situations, not by a long shot, but I am talking about being people of restoration and reconciliation, that we would be the, the hands and feet of Jesus, that we would be the first to speak and love, that we would declare truth, but that we would speak in love, that we would be an extension of the mercy and grace and forgiveness that we have received from Jesus. So because of that, we have the ability to put it on others. So I can forgive you because of what it is that God has forgiven me of. How dare I withhold forgiveness when God has forgiven me of so much? You see, the gospel should transform our hearts and lives and the way we view and interact with others, including ourselves. What does God say about you? What does he say about you? Do you know? Are you in relationship enough with him to know that the lies that others have spoken over you are simply that, they're lies? The lies you've potentially begun to believe about yourselves. Have you replaced them with truth because the Holy Spirit is declaring that you are valuable, that you are precious, that you are loved. In spite of all of your failures, all of your shortcomings, you are loved and fully known by God. Fully known. Not like, not like the way a person loves you. And listen, my wife loves me in spite of myself. I don't even understand most days how she has patience and mercy and grace for me. But the fact is, she does. And that's great. But she doesn't know the depravity of what happens between my ears. The things that are broken within me, my intentions, my selfishness, all these broken aspects of who we are in the deep recesses of our heart and mind. In fact, some of us put up walls, relational walls. And the reason why is because we think if, if somebody tears that wall down and sees who I actually am, they're going to distance themselves. But here's the, the amazing thing is that God knows you. He knows the intention of your heart. He knows the, the selfishness, the motive, the thoughts, the things that even a loving spouse doesn't know, that your best friend doesn't know. And he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. While you were his enemy, scripture says, he laid down his life for you. It's unfathomable. Like, we can't even process how deeply loved we are. And yet the Holy Spirit is crying within our hearts, crying it out, saying, you are valuable, you are loved. Don't believe the lies. Lay down the lies. Because it's only available the truth is only available in him. 
If we remain in him, we can experience the still life. We can experience the life that that allows us to lean in with true peace and grace, a place of, of strength. It's only available in him. Abide in him. Lay down those lies and relational shame and draw close to him because he has been pursuing you and has been maintaining his part of the relationship all along. Will you begin to lean into the relationship of knowing God? Because if you want to know God, you need to know Jesus. That's what he's saying. That's what he says to Thomas. You've seen him because you've seen me. You can know him because you know me. Lay down the lies. Listen, we create distance. We do. It's on us. God hasn't moved. He's pursuing us. Sin causes shame and distance. When we elevate ourselves and the desires of our flesh, we actually create distance and shame and the lie never delivers. Adam and Eve, if you go all the way back to Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned and scripture tells us they hid from God. Their response to the sin of their life was to hide, to create relational distance. Why? Because of the shame associated with the sin that they had committed. It's not a new concept. This isn't a new idea. We put distance between us and God when we're busy trying to instill and solidify being the gods of our own lives. Verse 28 goes on and says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Abiding in him, remaining in relationship with God, is the key to truth and confidence. Not shame, but confidence. The verb used here is a present imperative to abide in him, to have confidence, confidence and not shrink back. It's a, it's a present imperative, which means it's an ongoing command. If we know God, when the lie comes, we can speak truth to ourselves. It's learning the language of the gospel to speak over ourselves and over others. To be able to say, no, that's not true. You're believing a lie. The truth is you are valuable. To be able in the quietness of your own mind, riddled with shame and maybe guilt to say, but God forgives me because of the person and work of Jesus. He died the death that I deserve and had victory over the grave so that right now in this moment I can ask for forgiveness and he will extend that forgiveness and I can go boldly to the throne of God with confidence as Hebrews tells us. Why? Because we're children of the living God, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That's the truth. That's the gospel. We have to learn to speak it over ourselves and to speak it to others. It's the only hope. It's the answer to all of our hurts, to all of our, our heartaches, Verse 29 goes on and says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This verse further proves that the focus here is entirely relational. If you know he is righteous, 
Are you in relationship with him? The Holy Spirit abides in you and it sanctifies you daily. You're sanctified, set apart at the moment that you decide to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. But sanctification is also an ongoing daily process of saying, God, would you renew my heart? Would you renew my mind? Would you help me to have my heart and mind be broken over the things that break your heart, that, that, that you would uh, move towards, that you would be in action on? If you know his righteousness and you're in relationship with him, the Holy Spirit abides in you as you remain in him. And the outflow of that is a transformative relationship that leads to righteous living. We get it backwards. We think so often, I'm going to fix my life and then I'll be approved of by God. And you know, my roommate in college, he thought the same thing. I can repair this relationship. The way I'll repair it is I'll become who she wants me to become. If I can become who she wants me to become, if I could just think, and so he made a list of all the things she had ever criticized him about. And he began to work on gaining proximity to her by becoming the person that she wanted him to be. Wonder if it worked? Of course not. It didn't work. Because it was never about like distance that they just accidentally grew apart or that in some way he had to perform better. It was because she had made a decision that she didn't want to be in relationship with him anymore. It's a decision. And so here's the deal. It's completely flipped. We think in our heart and mind, if I can just behave appropriately, then I will earn a relationship with God. He will finally find me valuable. If I can just stop sinning long enough, then he'll have approval over me. But it's the exact opposite. God says, no, in spite of your sin and your brokenness, I love you. Well, you are my enemy, riddled with all of the shame and everything. I pursued you to repair the relationship because I love you, because you're precious and valuable. It's the exact opposite of the world system. And we need to realize that when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, it's that transformative work of the truth of the gospel that the outflow is actually righteous living. Say, okay, God, I will forgive because I've been forgiven. I will love because I am loved. That's how we have the energy to do that. It's nothing we conjure up. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Knowing God. We're children of the living God because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross and his victory over death in the grave. We can be children of God. And quite honestly, that changes everything. It changes everything. And so I want to challenge you with a question as we conclude this morning. We always talk about how the text requires something of us. And so the question I want you to consider as we bring this talk to a close is this. How can I rest in the confidence that the gospel gives? How can I rest in the confidence that the gospel gives? I want you to consider that this week and maybe in conversation with your family or in a circle that you would process what it means to rest in the confidence that the gospel gives. Maybe for some of you this morning, it means you have to begin a relationship. You've been living for yourself. 
and it's quite frankly just not panning out the way you intended. And so to you this morning, I want to challenge you. Do you have to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is that your application? If so, it can be this simple. You can pray a prayer in the quietness of the room you find yourself in. Lord, I am a sinner, but you died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. It can be that simple to begin a relationship. And if you pray that prayer this morning, I want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. You can click, if you're on the live platform, um, a prayer request, and we can have a conversation right now. Or you can click the next steps and see what's available to you so that we can continue to move you forward in this relationship. For others of us that have crossed that line of salvation this morning, maybe your application is to maintain a relationship with God. And when I use that word maintain, it sounds kind of like rote, like, like, oh, just maintain it. But I don't mean that. I mean, maintain a living relationship. And so maybe that looks like you signing up for circles. Maybe in this season you've detached and it's time to kind of lean in and to allow other people to, to speak the truth of the gospel to you so that you can learn that language of truth. And so maybe it looks like joining circles. Maybe it looks like being discipled one-on-one. We have a one-on-one discipleship process that we can do in this season. And so maybe that's your next step in maintaining this relationship with Christ and allowing it to grow. Maybe for some of you, it looks like journaling, just taking some time alone with the Lord and journaling about the truth, looking at scripture and seeing what does God actually say about me? I'm not sure who God says I am. And so finding those verses and just journaling about it and, and putting truth into your soul rather than believing the lies that maybe your parents have spoken over you, a well-meaning friend or a teacher or someone that, that has just spoken a lie. Maybe yourself, speaking lies over yourself. Maybe it looks like praying the truth over yourself or your situations. Maybe you know that truth already, but you haven't really claimed the reality of that truth before God and say, but God, you say this about me. And so God, would you renew my heart and my mind that I would have that confidence to speak truth, to walk in truth. Maybe it means memorizing verses so that you're able to bring them to the forefront of your heart and mind. I I don't know. I'm going through a whole list of things that hopefully something is resonating and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now as you abide in him to say, this is what you can work on. I want to challenge you to consider what it looks like to rest in the confidence that the gospel gives. Let's close in prayer together before we hear about how we can respond in music. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we don't have to conjure something up. That we don't have to come up with a reason why maybe we're behaved enough or valuable enough this week to be loved by you. But that we can rest. That we can be still. That we can abide in you and have confidence that we are children of the living God and that we can live and walk boldly because of that. So I pray you'd guard our hearts and our minds this week, that you'd lead us and direct us for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please continue uh, following along. We're going to continue in the series Still Life, and uh, we're excited to be in this series and see what else First John has to offer. Um, please remain as you're about to hear about a worship response right now. Hi, everybody. I'm Meredith. So thankful to gather together today and so very thankful for the Word of God. We want to encourage you this week to spend time with the application question. And as you rest in the confidence that the gospel provides, remember that you are a gospel-centered influencer in every sphere of your life. 
Church has never been closed because it's not about a building. It's about being the church. It's about being a light and being on mission wherever we find ourselves. So as you worship with your whole life, whether you're using your influence to point to Jesus or giving or serving, we also wanna encourage you to worship through song which we're about to do if you're with us live. Now, if you're watching or listening to the message later, you can find the songs that we're about to sing on Spotify. Just search Centerway Church and look for our Still Life playlist and the newest songs will be at the top. For those gathered on the live platform, we'd like to direct you to Facebook Live or Instagram Live so we can worship together through song. We'll give you just a minute to join us and we can't wait to see you over there. <laughs> 